Good morning. <clears throat> great to be back here at Faith Presbyterian Church. I say great to be back because my first time in the pulpit here was 43 years ago when I was candidating for a position as your assistant pastor. But as I used to tell my students at Westminster, there's only one thing worse than no call, and that's two calls. And so I went elsewhere. I'm glad you haven't held it against me. And I'm also very grateful for um, our friendship with the Browns uh, over these past years in particular. He's been a, a great encouragement and, and help to us. And uh, also, um, really glad that Pastor Kevin is getting a break because you know how things have, difficult things have been lately. But I've known Kevin since his days as a student at Westminster Seminary. And it's been a blessing to see how he has blessed you and you have blessed him. And there's another connection here as well, and that's Dr. Jardineer, a fellow Westchester graduate, uh, a fellow tuba player who also taught our children at Delaware County Christian School and was a colleague of my wife while there. But there's one thing I was really sorry to hear that, did you sell your tuba? He sold his tuba. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. I still have mine, but who knows what's next. And uh, uh, as far as uh, Pastor Mike's introduction, I appreciate those, those kind words, but I have very high regard for Covenant Theological Seminary. Uh, many of its professors are graduates of Westminster, after all. <laughs> as we, as we uh, turn, to, turn to our text today in Luke chapter 19 in your Bibles or on your devices, um, Barb and I will soon celebrate our 47th wedding anniversary, actually two days from now. And anybody who gets married in Lancaster County, anybody who gets married anywhere has a wedding license, and Lancaster County is no different, but their marriage certificate is a work of art. It has beautifully designed distal finks uh, on the certificate, and uh, that's from Pennsylvania German folk art. And uh, the word literally means thistle finch, and it's evidently supposed to be a sign of, of happiness and blessing. And we were married in 1975, but when we made a move in 1979 to, uh, to Havertown, uh, we lost it. We lost that beautiful marriage certificate. And regardless of how often and how hard we looked, we could not find it. Well, it's a good thing nobody ever asked for it. But our text today speaks of something far more important than an inanimate marriage certificate, a piece of paper, but it speaks of someone who is lost, a search for a lost person. Uh, my favorite synoptic gospel is, is Luke's gospel. As you know, the word synoptic literally means being seen together, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke as synoptic gospels. You can put them in parallel columns and you can see how similar they are, though there are differences for sure. John being the last gospel written is more thematic, and one-third of that gospel relates to uh, the last week of Jesus' life. Each of the gospels has its own focus. You know, Mark is action-packed, suited to a Roman audience. Uh, Matthew is filled with scriptural references. As a Jew, Matthew is trying to convince Jewish believers that, or Jewish, Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. But Luke, Luke is a, a Gentile who is writing 
to fellow Gentiles. And his point, trying to make the point that Jesus came to save anyone who would believe, young, old, rich, poor, Jew, and non-Jew. And this week and next Sunday, we're going to be looking at two texts that are unique to Luke's gospel. Uh, this one, a narrative story that you are, I'm sure, very familiar with. And next week, uh, a parable that reminds us of the goodness and kindness of God. So would you follow along as I read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10? This is God's holy word. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, thank you so much for your word, which teaches us, encourages us, and challenges us. Mostly what it teaches us about our Savior and his, his love for us. We thank you in his name. Amen. The theme of the text and the theme of the sermon is found right there in Luke chapter 9, 19, uh, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so the course we're going to be following today as we walk through the text is the very first point is the lost identified, second, the lost sought, and thirdly, the lost found. Now Zacchaeus was in a very difficult situation. He wasn't, it wasn't unlike, and I think you'll see the similarity, to the two guys who fell into a vat of chocolate at the M&M Mars factory in Elizabethtown last month. Did you hear about that? They fell into a vat of chocolate waist deep, and they couldn't get out. And you say to yourself, okay, preacher, how does this like Zacchaeus? Well, a lot of people may have thought that it's a good thing to be awash in chocolate, but they were in great danger. Zacchaeus is a person who had what many people hoped to have. He had a lot of money. He was awash in money, but he was in peril and needed to be saved. Our text tells us a little bit more about him, tells us that he is a chief tax collector. Uh, tax collectors were not on the most popular list of the countries where the Romans occupied them. By way of brief review, the RRS, that is the Roman Revenue Service, recruited people from the lands they occupied to collect taxes. But the problem was that people would bid on the right to collect taxes, and in order to bid, they had to outbid everybody else. So not only that, they had to outbid everybody else, but then they had to add a percentage on the top that they would take for themselves. So let's say, for example, you were in the 15% tax bracket. You were expecting to pay 15%, but the tax collector from the RRS, he required... He bid 35%, excuse me, 25%, plus 
Plus, he added another 10% for himself. Well, that's going to be a lot bigger tax bill than you imagined. And this was personal too. This wasn't filling out a form. This wasn't filing online, which I finally learned how to do. But this was personal, someone coming to your house, knocking on your door and saying, pay up. And you didn't have any recourse because he represented the pool authority of the Roman Empire. And this is the reason that the very title tax collector was synonymous with sinner. To give you an idea of how much they were disliked, the rabbis actually debated the extent to which a house became unclean if a tax collector or a thief entered. So this is why it really bothered the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, that Jesus spent so much time with them. And for Zacchaeus, it was even worse. By his name, his name is a Jewish name, so he is a double problem. He was a traitor. But as you look at how he's described, he's described as a chief tax collector. Now, this is the only time in the New Testament that someone is described as a chief tax collector. And it's a compound word with the root being the word for tax collector, but there's a prefix, RK, which would be transliterated into English as arch. It's similar to the idea of an archbishop. You've got your bishops, but then you've got your archbishop. Similar to arch rivals, you've got a rival, but then there's the arch rival, the rival above all. And so this was a chief tax collector, and as such, he was very, very rich, and you add to that that he was in Jericho. Another way that people would, the tax collectors would make money is that they not only got the personal tax from people, but they would be at particular places where they would tax items that were passing through. So there are three main uh, cities of access to Jerusalem. One was Caesarea, uh, one was Capernaum to the north, and one was this city of Jericho. And each had a chief tax collector. And so he had lots of money. He had lots of people working for him. He was very, very rich. And so he had done whatever was necessary to climb to the top of the income mountain right over the backs of his own people. It was profit at any price. It was the almighty denarius that drove him in his life. And when Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming, he hurried out of his office, the text says. Well, why did he hurry out of his office? Well, you were told he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Why? Was he just concerned about the hustle and bustle outside to see what was going on? There was probably more. Why do people seek the Lord? Maybe something happens in their lives. Maybe something happens in a friend or a family member's life. In the course of my pastoral ministry, I've had the opportunity to officiate at some very, very sad funerals. One was a 14-year-old blue-eyed blonde who just collapsed while running with some friends. She had a congenital heart condition that was undetected before that moment. Her funeral was a few days after Christmas that year. And the building was filled with hundreds of people. Many of them were seeking answers. Many of them were seeking comfort. 
But what many of them left with was new life in Christ. Sometimes it's that kind of thing. What was it for you? What was it for Zacchaeus that led him to seek, to know, to find out about Jesus? We don't know. Perhaps Zacchaeus had just discovered that unlike the rabbis, Jesus spent time with the tax collectors. He actually dined with them. Or maybe the tough exterior of this tax man was crumbling as he was suffering, remembering that though he lived in a palatial estate, that palatial estate was built on the backs of those who didn't pay their taxes, who were sold into slavery. Maybe it was more and more difficult to ignore the jeers of the crowd wherever he went. There goes Mr. Big Man, or there goes Mr. Clean. It's very ironic that his name, Zacchaeus, means pure. There goes Mr. Clean. Oh, yeah. In verse 3, he's described as being in small in stature. Maybe he had come to the realization that in spite of his big fortune, he was a very small man. Whatever the reason, he wanted to see Jesus. It doesn't say that he wanted to meet with him or talk with him. And you can just see him. This is one of, the, one of those pictures we all have from Bible stories growing up, you know, the little, little Zacchaeus uh, running outside, trying to get a sight of Jesus, and all these people are around him, and he's trying to push through, but he can't get through. And he looks ahead, and he sees the sycamore tree, the most famous sycamore tree in the world. And he, he shimmies up the sycamore tree. What a fight. What a sight it must have been. But he didn't mind. He had plenty of practice about being unconcerned about what people thought of him. This was his chance to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was a very lost person. What do lost people look like? You can't look it up in the dictionary and see a picture of what lost person looks like. There might be people that are people you work with, maybe people you live with, maybe, maybe people you go to church with. The most recent church that Barb and I had the privilege of, of serving uh, was in New Holland, and uh, it was a church that came out of the United Church of Christ, a very liberal denomination, and we brought it into the PCA by God's grace. But as a result, uh, there, were, there were many, many people in that church who had gone to that church all their lives, who had never heard the gospel, who had never heard the good news. And so one of the joys that we had was, as we had opportunity to, to speak, to preach the word to them, but also to speak to them personally, and uh, one of the individuals who uh, came to Christ was our old high school choir director. It was really, it was really, really a special, a special time. But lost people, each of us was a lost person at one time, weren't we? So it's very dangerous to put them uh, in a box. But let's look at now, secondly, the lost sought. What happened next must have stunned the people even more than the shimmy up the tree. Jesus saw the man, and he looked up, and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
Now, we don't know exactly how Jesus knew his name. Maybe he had been forewarned about this chief tax collector in Jericho. Maybe he just heard about him. Or maybe this was another example of the supernatural knowledge that became apparent from time to time in his ministry. But certainly his supernatural knowledge allowed him to see what was in Zacchaeus's heart. This is one, not one ordinary person. It was more than curiosity that sent him up the sycamore tree. And note that Jesus takes the action, the decisive action. He is the primary seeker. Not only does Jesus speak to him, which is stunning enough, but listen to what he says. He didn't say, repent, you traitor, which would have been right. But he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I would like to stop in and see you. I'm coming to your place. And notice he doesn't say, oh, Zacchaeus, would it be convenient if I came over today? Do you think it would be okay? think your wife would be all right with me stopping over? No, Jesus says, notice it says, I must come to your house today. That's a little Greek uh, word, just three letters, and it conveys that sense of urgency. I must, it is necessary, it is required that I come to your house today. It's a word that we've seen in a redemptive context in Luke's gospel. As Jesus is saying, it is necessary, I must suffer, go to Jerusalem and suffer. In the, in the context of Scripture, this is the only time where Jesus invites himself to somebody's house. And what did the people say? Yay! Zacchaeus is going to get an audience with Jesus. No, they grumbled. They grumbled. People grumbled. There was Jesus going to spend some more time with a sinner, and this is a really big sinner. I mean, if he really knew what a big sinner this was, he wouldn't be going there. You know, Jesus no longer kowtowed to public opinion either. He was going to do because this was his mission to seek and save the lost. Seeking and saving the lost is something we've already been introduced to. Uh, if you know Luke's gospel, the 15th chapter is filled with three parables that talk about the lost. Remember the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost or prodigal son. And do you remember what prompted Jesus to tell these parables? He says, let me remind you the opening words of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and sinners grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then he told those parables. In the case of the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves the 99 and finds the lost one. In the case of the lost coin, the woman cleans the house until she finds it. In the case of the prodigal son, the seeking is a little different. It's a search into the very heart of this young man who finally comes to himself and returns home to his father. And here you see in our text the very picture in real life of Jesus seeking the lost was Zacchaeus. And the Lord had already begun his work in Zacchaeus' heart. And there's a great difference between things that are lost. A coin doesn't know if it's lost or not. A sheep doesn't know if it's lost or not. 
At least I don't think so. A person may or may not know that he or she is lost. But it's clear now that Zacchaeus has realized that he is lost and has now been found. Let's look at the lost found. What was his response to the invitation of Jesus in verse 6? He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. The shimmying down must have been as comical as the shimmying up, but down he came filled with joy. Something that all three of the parables in Luke 15 also communicate is the joy of the lost being found. Remember how the shepherd rejoiced when he found the lamb, the sheep? Remember how the woman threw a party when she found the lost coin? And the same with the father when the prodigal son returned. And so they joyfully went to Zacchaeus' house. We don't know exactly what happened there in advance. It was, was very likely that he was offered a meal. You see Jesus being placed at the head of the table at the place of honor. wonder what they talked about. But then, I believe that Jesus' story takes a turn when Zacchaeus stands up. And the Greek text, when you want to emphasize something, you put the important thing at the front of the verse. And so it is here in this verse you see that the word stood is in the primary place. Verse 8, stood is the first word, and he stood. And Zacchaeus said to the Lord, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is what it looks like when the lost are found. Two things primarily. First of all, do you see his repentance? Having been such a crook, what would be the evidence of a transformed life? A new attitude toward, toward money. So he says, half my goods I give to the poor. It's well beyond what the rabbis expected, the rabbis would have expected, uh, the return of the goods plus 20%. But no, he says, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. And then he goes on, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Again, he goes over and above what the law required, both in Leviticus and in Exodus. This is what repentance looks like. And each of us, maybe it might not be money for you or for me, but it may be something else which was a primary stumbling block. And this isn't saying that Zacchaeus never struggled again. Because you and I know that sanctification is a progressive thing. Repentance is, is an ongoing part of life. But there's initial, this initial transformation. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 87, says, What is repentance unto life? Answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Turning from our old way, turning to God and Christ. And what's Jesus' verdict on this man? Verse 9, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. What does it mean to be a son of Abraham? What was characteristic of Abraham? Well, he believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so you see the two-fold evidences of his transformation of repentance and the repentance that flowed from faith. 
And undoubtedly, there were people who were saying to Zacchaeus, you're no son of Abraham. Look at what you're doing. But Jesus has the final word, doesn't he? This is truly a son of Abraham. Remembering that Jesus came, not for people who think they're somebody, but for people who are anybody's and especially nobody's. Earlier in Luke's gospel, you may recall something that ties into this is, remember the, the young rich man who came to Jesus and he said he wanted to follow Jesus? Remember what Jesus said after he refused to follow him? He said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember what the disciples said? They said, well, then, who can be saved? Jesus said, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And in this story of Zacchaeus, you have seen the impossible become possible. You have seen the lost found. You have seen the camel pass through the eye of the needle right in this text. But I want you to notice something else. Notice Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The text doesn't say he came to seek and find the lost. So being found is to be saved. And we understand what that means from the various earliest verses of Matthew's gospel where Joseph was told by the angel, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so Zacchaeus was experiencing the forgiveness of God. He was experiencing the salvation of God. What about you? And a couple of closing questions this morning. Are you lost this morning? Maybe you took a wrong turn in your life, like Zacchaeus, thinking it would bring you satisfaction, but now you can't find your way. This morning, Jesus is offering himself the way, the truth, and the life. He'll offer you new life, forgiveness, power to change. And if you think there's not hope for somebody like you, that's what Zacchaeus thought until Jesus came to town. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Another question, are you seeking Jesus? Maybe you're not sure why you came today or why you're watching or why you're listening. Perhaps you, like Zacchaeus, don't know why you're drawn to Jesus. But maybe you can see him looking into your heart. Maybe you can hear his voice saying to you, today I must meet with you. And the promise of Scripture is that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And are you a believer today? May the fact that Jesus Christ sought you and found you and saved you never become boring to you. Oh, I should tell you, yes, yes, we moved again. Now, you've got you to be honest with me and say, you've got boxes in your house that you didn't open since the last time you moved, right? Well, finally, you know, more than 30 years after that initial move, we moved again. Moved out to Lancaster County, 
And as I was going through some boxes up in the attic, guess what I found? I found the marriage certificate. And we were so happy. We were so filled with a piece of paper. We were so, fat, so happy. And so if you want to see it, you come to our house. It's right hanging inside the door, nicely framed by our daughter. And if we rejoice that much in a lost thing, imagine the joy in the heart of the seeking Savior when he finds and saves the lost. And that's exactly what we're told in Scripture. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one person who repents than a multitude who need no repentance. Thanks be to God for our seeking Savior. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you so much for the opportunity today to look at a, a familiar story, but a story that strikes to the very heart of, of each person. That which we need is to be found. That which we need is to be saved. I pray that if there's anyone here today who uh, has sought, who is seeking, may they know that Jesus Christ is the seeking uh, behind their seeking. And may they come to him and look to him. We also ask our God for each of us as believers that we would never, never forget uh, the grace and mercy of our Savior uh, in seeking us and finding us where we were, determining not to leave us there, but to make us his children and then to promise uh, eternal life and to give us help along the way to continue to, to battle, to continue our repentance, which is lifelong. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.